Hey now, welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a show where we celebrate the vibe and the stories and the wines that have made Paso wine country so special. To understand how hot Paso has become is to understand the people and the places here behind it all. And that's why I'm here. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. And now here's my Gen Z intro. Paso's so lit. Here's why. By the way, I'm Adam. First off, thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. It means a lot. When you share this with a friend, it makes moves. So thank you. Feedspot actually has a chart of the top 40 wine podcasts. And here we are at number 16, which is incredible. We are not even through with year one. But with your help and you sharing what you hear, if you like it, we will be all the way to the top before we know it. Some great comments on the reviews, including one comparing us to another big wine podcast. In fact, the biggest. We'll be sharing that and some of those next week so we can get right in to today's epic show. So if you want me to read a question or a comment, just go to your podcast app, write it right in there with a five-star review. I thank you and I love you. Before we get into today's show, Paso Wine has an auction for Wine Fest this year, running from May 10th through the 16th. And I promise, if you are even remotely in to Paso Wine, and more than wine here, but the experiences here, you cannot afford to miss this. Learn more at PasoWine.com about this auction for Wine Fest coming up in May. But one of the lots I will tell you about later on in detail because it will be huge, especially after enjoying this episode. So Winefest Auction, May 10th through 16th. Learn more, PasoWine.com. If you can't wait till later, you can check out the website. They got previews of all the lots there. You can check it out while you're listening. Now, of course, every show is a special show, but this is a special show. We're talking to like future Hall of Famers in Paso Wine. Winemakers and growers who have made Paso look so good to the country and to the world beyond. Why two great winemakers who come from the place where they know more than a thing or two about world-class wine. We're not just talking old school, we're talking old world. The wines of France are noted far and wide by being the best on earth. So what would make two French winemakers who are making wine in France want to pick up and move everything to California? And why would they pick Paso over Napa or anywhere else? We will ask Stéphane Aseo of L'Aventure and Guillaume Fabre of Close Céline and Binom Wines in a show we are calling The French Connection promising to be one of our most listened to and sought after shows from fans of their respective brands. But also, if you know either of these two guys, what a rare treat to hear them in a room together, talking back and forth, and someone is just hitting record. Stefano Seo of L'Aventure Wines, along with Guillaume Fabre of Close to Lynn and Binome. Both are huge names in Paso. Stefan started L'Aventure in 1998 and for over 20 years has been making Paso look more than good, but world class. His wines have been described by more than most as the grand crew of Paso Robles wine. And there is no doubt to that. Consistent acclaim from Robert Parker and just about everyone else. Stefan is a benchmark winery that has some history under its belt of over a couple decades, but still enjoys cult fandom. In 2007, Guillaume Fabre, while working at La Venture, started his own brand, Closelin. The quality and style that Guillaume set for his wines equally on point in the farming and winemaking, but just with his own vision that quickly rocketed to a premium and sought after brand as soon as it first went to bottle. 
I've known Guillaume for a long time and his smile is friendly. He is genuine and not only a fantastic farmer and winemaker, of course, like Stefan, but a great representative of how Paso does this in a world-class way, along with Stefan Aseo of Laventure. So two world-class gentlemen who have promised not to smack talk me in French amongst themselves. And we're going to ask them everything. Why Paso? We talk if winemaking is more craft or more art. We also learn a few times where the saying, pardon my French, likely literally came from. I show up in Laventure. We are in their old tasting room. Guillaume and Stefan are chatting. Actually, it's cool because Joel Peterson, the executive producer of this podcast with my friends from Paso Wine, is also here for the first half of the chat as he used to be a cellar rat here with Stefan and his good friends with Guillaume. We start with a little Roussan heavy white blend. It's heavenly. And I try and muster up some French that I practiced uh, with Google Translate on the drive up. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. So yeah, it's... Uh, so just, this is not even released? Just yet. bottled. Uh, no. Okay, so if I say, merci de m'avoir c'est un honneur dit ici avec voodoo. Ouais, uh, hopefully I'm uh, very bad in English so I can understand your French. Because <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, you're welcome, me too. Oh, so you did understand what I said? Yeah, yeah, understand. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> but, uh, I have to be uh, concentrated. Cheers. Cheers. Oh my the French connection. This is going to be a lot of fun. Guillaume, Stefan. Now, what's so exciting about this conversation and to meet up with the both of you is that the connection between the two of you gentlemen, it goes back far. That's over, I think. Over, yeah. Mm-hmm. It started with Laventure. You used to you used to work here. You interned here, right, Guillaume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, was a friend uh, in France, in Bordeaux, uh, put us in contact. But I remember the first time I talked to Stefan on the phone, he said, no, I don't want any interns anymore. <laughs> Especially French. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I had to push a little bit more and to show uh, Stefan my motivation. And it happened, you know. It was cool. It was cool. And he lied to me a little bit. <laughs> How's that? No, no, it's a way he was lucky because uh, he told me that it was uh, this friend in France that I knew and respected a lot who uh, somewhere was uh, introducing him to me. And finally, it was not really him directly. It was someone in the middle. Maybe if he uh, spoke about the middle one, I will have said no. <laughs> but like it was Dominique Renard, I said, okay, I cannot say no to Dominique. So yeah, he came and uh, it was a success. You know, one of the main themes that we end up talking about, Stefan, on this show is kind of why Paso and some of the parts of Paso that are so special. I'm not sure there is a story more illustrative as to why Paso and that answers that question so well. When we look at your situation making wine in Bordeaux and France, you're in the old world, you're where like all the most beautiful wines besides Paso come from, right? And because of the rules and the, the this and the that, you ended up finding Paso. Well, it's a long story, huh? so uh, we'll try to make it shorter as possible. But yes, you more or less answered uh, to the questions. The main motivation was uh, even I was uh, loving and I was happy to live in Bordeaux and making wine in Bordeaux. After a while, I was a little bit frustrated because we have all those regulations, what we call uh, appellation contrôlée, which are kind of uh, nice because some where they gave a kind of uh, geographical delimitation of each 
area in France. So when you uh, are in Burgundy, it's very dedicated to uh, a style of wine, etc., etc., for each one. But after 20 years, roughly, making wine in the same uh, area with the same regulations, the same grapes, and same everything, uh, it's a little bit boring. And so on the top of that, I think what... Uh, make my situation even more uh, difficult, uh, if I can say that. It's because uh, I uh, escape uh, for a few trips uh, in South Africa, in uh, Lebanon. So I went to see outside uh, what people were doing. And uh, every time I was coming back with some frustration, because in those countries, I tasted some fantastic wines, and I came back with a lot of uh, fantasy ideas, and uh, I never got the balls to... Uh, you know, the courage to uh, to fuck the appellation, kind of, right. uh, and do my own stuff. Now, for someone who doesn't know, I mean, in France, in Bordeaux, if it's right bank, it's this. If it's left bank, it's yeah. this. If you're in Burgundy, it's, it's Chardonnay yeah. and Pinot so, Noir. Even in Bordeaux, you know, when you're left bank, it's more Cabernet-driven. When you're in uh, right bank, it's more Merlot. But you have some flexibility somewhere, but you're always limited uh, between four or five uh, grapes, even I heard, uh, what, two months ago, that uh, the INAO, so the uh, governmental uh, uh, regulators. regulators for those appellations, decided to introduce some new grapes in Bordeaux. I suppose it's because of global warming. Yeah. And uh, I know one, and I think it's a good choice. It's a Portuguese uh, one. It's a Touriga Nacional. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, but that I think was a good pick. The other one, you know them. I yeah. never heard about them. Eh? No, no, for sure. No, but yeah. the new one, the new grapes they introduced in Bordeaux to be allowed to uh, grow. Yeah, they are crazy names. Yeah, yeah. and me, I never heard yeah. about that. So and it's, I've, it's new hybrids. You know, they can. Ah, okay. Yeah. So maybe and I suppose I am not in the uh, back of the scene, but I suppose you had also a kind of a political fight. Because me, I will have seen Syrah for sure, but I'm pretty sure the wrong people say Syrah is for right. us. Right, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure, but uh. they do have some, though. They say, you know. Yeah, but you yeah. have to be in a Vantable. Yeah. You know, so even if you do use different grapes, you can't label them as you'd you want to label you them. You lose the appellation. So yeah. it's kind of you have no middle. Kind of you go well when you are generic Bordeaux. Bordeaux is better than nothing, but it's not super prestigious. And when you are in Saint-Emilion or in Poyac or wherever where you are, it's so prestigious that it will be kind of uh, yeah, shooting sure. a bullet in your foot to uh, lose the Poyac appellation or the Pomerol appellation. Yeah. So no, when no. you're in Bordeaux, you know, so it's a double, uh, it's very interesting. And at the beginning, I, tell, I told you that... Unfortunately, I didn't have the, the courage to do it because I think that it will have been a, a great help to uh, and uh, communicate on that to make a kind of uh, you know uh, I fuck the appellation. On the top of that, at this time, I, I had already some contact with some journalists and they love this kind of uh, scoop, kind of yeah. And somewhere when you are table wines, yeah, after you end up like in the new world, it's a full f uh, field, uh, yeah. free. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. So, so really, Paso was able to kind of welcome, you know, somewhat of a renegade like you were, mm -hmm. and you could come here and you could make what you choose. Yeah, that's the whole idea. What it's did what, you choose? It's what, what I did. Yeah, it's what you did. Are there other winemakers in the old world in France, maybe friends you had, that were like, man, Stefan, man, I am jealous. Look what you get to do. Or, or do they think you're yeah. crazy? I'm sure. No, so it's funny because uh, I will say my uh, close 
open mind friend, uh, French friends were uh, super proud for me, you know, and they were kind of uh, nicely jealous because somewhere they, I was realizing the dream of a lot uh, of them. Yeah. So that on one side. What was funny, it was the uh, American side of the story. When uh, I was meeting them, they were watching me and say, what are you doing here? You, you, you left yeah. Bordeaux to end up in the middle of nowhere because 20 years ago, Paso was not on a map. And what are you doing here? You know, you're completely crazy. You left uh, Bordeaux to end up to uh, nowhere. And when you left, you were doing really well, right? Not yeah. too bad. <laughs> did you ever look in the mirror and think, what did I do? I'm crazy. I don't know that I should no, have done this. No, because uh, I was younger. Huh? So I was more uh, motivated. But uh, I was so excited, you know, by this adventure. Because it was a big challenge. You know, it was not just a wine challenge. It was a family story, the school, the kids. Yeah. My oldest one was 16 years old. So for him, it was a little bit violent, etc., etc. Plus, uh, on the other hand, I was so excited to start uh, from scratch. Because it's what I did at L'Aventure. It was a raw piece of land, and uh, it was a uh, it was an adventure. The world is uh, is good, and uh, I was so excited by that. At this time, I was completely dedicated, you know, uh, making the fence, spending time on the tractor, what I love. No, I was stuck. Uh, I'm stuck in my fucking office. Uh, making, uh, <laughs> when you see like where, where Paso has come right now, you mm -hmm. look at where Paso is today. Did you see this? When you moved no. here, did you could you imagine maybe if it gets a little? What did you think it would become, and how surprised are you what it's become? I think you know uh, when you do this kind of uh, big jump and uh, adventure, adventurous uh, choice, you have to be uh, a little bit uh, not crazy but inconscient. If you wait everything and you're too uh, pragmatical, you never move. So you add that, like I told you, I was younger. And I think that the excitation was stronger than everything. It's when uh, you're in love with a girl, you know, uh, people can tell you everything you want, uh, you love her. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So it's the same story. That's a great point. Wait, Good analogy. Was, yeah. <laughs> so French to make it about love. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So how do you cross paths? How do you end up making your way, Guillaume? And of course, I can't wait to talk about Closelin and Binome, but how do you make your way first in those first moments into L'Aventure? I, I think it's very naive when I came over, you know, I was just in interns. And when I saw Stefan the first time at the airport, I saw this guy with long hair, dirty, I think I'd see him, you know, I didn't even see a picture of him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when I arrived here at the, at the estate, you know, I was shocked. And I was telling Stefan, okay, what's your hours? What do people do? You know, we work seven to three. He says, three? Wow. I'm starting to be panicking because for me, I always work with my dad, long hours. And, and you know, I've, I just, you know, already I, I, I love the first, you know, uh, the first shot. And after, you know, um, I could, I kind of move my way, you know, with Stefan and with L'Aventure and find out about the, the area and you know, find out about, you know, the family for sure. It was like a big anchor for me because, you know, I never moved from my family, you know. So Stefan Beatrice uh, greeted me just like, you know, family. And I really appreciate it then and still now. You know, finally about the estates, you know, work really hard with Stefan, learn a lot with him and totally different than Stefan. Stefan moved to have you know, like a different path, like, you know, he was tired with the rules. For me, I was like, I was young, I was only 23. Yeah, younger, yeah. So I didn't have any family, no kids. So when I arrived here, for fiance, me, it was like... Fiancé, fiancé. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I arrived I was, here... I was pushing him to uh, eventually have a test of some American uh, beautiful girl. But yeah. He never did it. <laughs> no, it was... Uh, no, it was... A, it was <laughs> 
No, it was it was <laughs> awesome. It's awesome, and and I'm I'm glad I did. And it's funny when you ask Stefan if he saw, you know, uh, then our pastor will became actually when I arrived. About a year after, I kind of felt, you know, because I wasn't sure what to do, you know. Does Stefano come going to go back, go back to the south of France? He said, "Won't you stay here?" And I stayed as an assisting Stefan, and they even the whole team. But I kind of had a feeling what Paso will going to be, you know, in a way, because I saw the terroir was just shocked and shocked about how the wine were. On this soil, and I think you say, "Wow, I think we're in something." And I call Solène. You know, Solène, my fiance at that time. I told her, "See, you should come over." And I think something special about this place. So you kind of saw something. I, you I saw, saw something. Yeah, yeah, I felt it about the blossom. Yeah, and yeah. somewhere to uh, go back or to finish what uh, Guillaume just said, and that answer to your previous question. I have no clue about the future of. I have no crystal ball. If not, I will be a billionaire. You know. And I'm just a poor winemaker lost uh, in the middle of uh, Paso Robles. But no, but the point is, I fell in love to this place, to this terroir. And I think that it's more or less uh, what Guillaume wanted to say at the end. Uh, when you know that you have the potential to make a great wine, and that's unfortunately start with the terroir after the vineyard you plant, etc. When making being just uh, maybe 20% of the story. When you have this basement already, you know that you are... Uh, You feel it, you know, and uh, that was more or less why I, when I visited, I don't know, uh, when I came with Beatrice uh, the first time uh, in a week, we visited uh, 50 spots. I had no clue about the ease, the macroclimate, all what we call now the different district of Paso. But this one, when I was already, you know, driving on the dirt road, on Arbor Road, I was a car in the car of the real estate guy. I was, ooh, I feel it good. <laughs> yeah, right. So and uh, it's, uh, I fell in love to the place first. Uh. So when you came here, obviously, you know, the Gary Eberleys, the Doug Beckett's, mm -hmm. people have staked their claim in Paso, mm -hmm. and maybe it was Zinfandel, maybe it was Cab, maybe it was other things, but they staked their claim in Paso. You were really kind of like this newer generation that kind of lifted it up to this like almost cult-like level and i think with names like laventure we open up to some of the more like yeah I mean, you were like one of those first like cult like hot wineries yeah well that it's a level of exigence uh an expectation to push always uh, the level higher and higher but i think i have a small ego you know but if i had to be uh, proud about something i think uh And that makes me a double crazy French guy, kind of, yeah. for American people, because I was crazy living in Bordeaux. Right. And moving here to answer to your question, you know, I was not doing a straight cab or a straight zine or a straight this or straight that. I did a blend, and it was not even a Bordeaux blend. It was a fucking crazy blend, uh, Syrah, Cabernet, etc. So if I'm proud about something, it's to have uh, stayed on my line, kind of, and do what was my dream. And uh, I thought he could work, but honestly, uh, you know, when you start new stuff like that, you never know. Would you taste these blends that you're making, these crazy blends, and like, oh my God, there's something so, there's something here? Or were you even thinking with this French mind that you had 10 years ago, or what, you know, uh, now it's more than 20 years ago, but let's say you're just getting into things, were you like, oh, I don't know if people are going to wrap their heads around it, but who gives it? I'm just going to do it. No, I'm not, sm I'm not as smart as that, you know, so <laughs> I, I'm not Jesus Christ uh, with some illumination, uh, stuff like that. No, to be honest with myself and yourself, it's uh, this idea of this Syrah Cabernet blend uh, started uh, to uh, grow in my mind a uh, long, long time ago during those trips I was speaking uh, about before. And one of the... 
I have two kind of anchors about uh, making this blend, uh, even I could not do, do them in Bordeaux, was one a day, uh, so that was in the 80s, beginning of 80s, I uh, tested a, a wine from Languedoc-Roussillon, it was Domaine de Trévalon, and this guy introduced a lot of Cabernet in his Syrah, so, and when I tested that, it was, wow, that's good. So that was one, uh, one thing, and the other one was this trip in Lebanon I did uh, to visit one of my best friends. Uh, He was hired by a very rich guy in uh, Lebanon uh, to make the best wine as possible, and uh, he was lost in the middle of nowhere. Paso was a big civilization, comparing to that. So he needed to see some uh, French-friendly face, and like we had nothing to do, because Plaine de la Beca, uh, you have nothing, you know. And uh, we started like two kids, you know, to test everything, because it was a big vineyard, and he, he did a lot of different uh, vinification different grapes, etc. And I remember, because the owner wanted to have his flagship wine, and we tried to make the best blend as possible from all the wine he had in the winery, and we end up with a Syrah Cabernet, and at this time, a touch of Morved. And finally, the owner uh, took a fucking Bordeaux blend, like always. But uh, that was his <laughs> second, uh, that was his second uh, somewhere where I say, wow, Syrah Cabernet is working. And to be honest, to end up, Uh, I, I have no clue. When I moved to Paso and I finally I did this blend, uh, I learned that in Australia they were st they were already doing that. So I'm not a big pioneer, but honestly, at my little level, I have no clue. So I had the impression to make. A, and the end of the end, somewhere, it's because uh, I can be inspired by Chateauneuf du Pape. I can be inspired by Priora, etc., etc. You have a lot of beautiful wines, but it was. If I escaped uh, from Bordeaux or from the Appellation, the idea was not to, to do a Bordeaux copy uh, in the new world. That was making no sense, you know. Uh, yeah. It's better to stay in Bordeaux to make Bordeaux. The idea was really to make the wine not anymore from the Appellation, but from my terroir. I think that's mm -hmm. what yeah. I wanted to do. What the earth here so under true. you is capable of doing. It's so amazing to see the popularity and like um, the, the the respect that the Laventure brand carries uh, for Paso. I, I remember doing a show with this podcast with Top Winery. Mm -hmm. You're familiar with Stanley and Elena? Mm -hmm. Fantastic wines. And they both came from Los Angeles. And Elena, she told me in our podcast uh, that you, you got to go check out because she was, she was so sweet. She said that the first time she ever got starstruck was when she was pouring her wine and you came up to her. We really admired um, La Venture. I, I think I've never gotten starstruck until I had a pour for uh, Stefana Seo and my voice was cracking. Like, <laughs> my hands were shaking. You know, and uh, I have seen so many celebrities in LA and it wasn't until like I poured for him. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm pouring. I kept it cool. I was Did a little Did you play shaky. it off well, right? I, I don't know. You got to ask him the next yeah. time you see him. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we were big loving tour geeks and fans. Oh, you got to kiss her. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's very nice. That touched me a lot. Because honestly, now I'm part of the. I'm an old Paso citizen, kind of, you mm -hmm. know, 22 years. So I'm happy path. to know that uh, more or less I put uh, my little stone in the, in the Paso uh, wall. But. Uh, Yeah, but uh, going back to uh, Stanley and uh, Top, is they, or both of them, uh, Elena, they, I think he's gifted him 
because yeah. he's, uh, mm -hmm. he, I, like you said, he has no uh, background. And uh, in the wine, yeah. he didn't, didn't go to school to know the fundamentals and uh, all this stuff, but he feel. So I call that uh, gifted. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah. going for that quality, you know, like yeah. the yeah. that I was here was all about like the top quality. Yeah. That's why I think well, he has this stuff. He drink good yeah. wines too. So yeah, he, he does. Puts he does. The he does. Yeah, yeah, true. You go just <laughs> hang out with him, you know, yeah, you're tasting know. some tops and it's like, oh, 85 Margot yeah, just, yeah. just got opened up. Uh, Guillaume... <laughs> I remember one of the, the sweetest things that anybody had ever done for me is we were making our trip. The Cork Dorks were going to Bordeaux, and you set me up with your father, and we were in Borg. And here's this sweet man, comes down in his Audi, picks Jeremy and I up on all our big equipment, and drives us to uh, the chateau. Did you work at this winery? Did, uh, were you yeah, were in so, Borg? Yeah, it was like 2022, 20, and okay. my dad sold the estates that were like five generations. Yeah, oh, wow. Separate from his family and moved to Bordeaux in, in Bourg. Yeah. You know, Cote de Bourg and you know, lucky enough, I found my wife there. Yeah. yeah. So he bought a very small estate, uh, which was great. You know, my 60 acres and small winery. But I just worked a year. You know, what's great about it? It kind of pushed me to kind of go elsewhere, you know, because I was like tracked to, you know, take over the business in Languedoc. It was definitely, I was like 23. I've, you know, I was sure, you know. And, you know, decided to sell it. It was a big break for me. And I think that's great because he opened my mind and I came here, you know, instead. You did like a couple big breaks. You had that big break and then you come you work for Stefanoseo and at some point in this journey something lights up inside of you to start making your own wine you know it's funny because I you know we have a big family so my dad has five brothers they each have an estate and you know everything disappeared because you know the great grandparents built the uh, next generation kind of continue and the other one hit the fortune or everything they have and everything disappeared you know so I mean when I came my dad has this estate and he sold it but um, for me, I mean, coming here, it was like to learn English, to see what was happening with, with New World Wine. And, uh, and I told Sonny, I said, gosh, I'm not sure if I go back to Languedoc, because my goal was to go back to Languedoc, because I think it's a fantastic area. Sure. And when Stefan said, gosh, do you want to stay and, you know, have 30 more acres or 40 more acres to plant it? I need help. And I stayed and I told Sonny, gosh, you know, why don't we start here, you know? And we started one barrel in 2007, 07. I wanted to start in 06. You know, Stefan was, you know, great for me to start that. And, uh, and the you know, the rest is history, you know. So, so at some point, you, you create Close to Lynn, and you're still here. You're still at Love and Tour, correct? Yeah, Close to Lynn was um, started, established in 2007. Okay. And I worked st with Stefan up to 2008. It was a great year for Paso. That must have been a great year to have your first wine, right? 07? It was great, but you know, at that time, the, you know, the crash. You know, yeah, 08, sure. 08. Wait, I listened to my old, my radio air checks from like a long time ago, and I can't stand listening to myself. I hate it. I just like, <laughs> oh my God, I sounded like that. I said those things. Do you ever drink like your first wines, both of you? And, and are, are they good? Or do you like, oh, I didn't know much. I don't like it. I think, you know, well, first of all, uh, you have to compare Apple to Apple. My first wine were from uh, purchase fruit, not from my estate. So already even I was buying nice fruit. I was trying to uh, give some guidelines to my growers. It was not the same. After that, uh, when I did my estate wines, they were from uh, young uh, vines. And even you have good fruit, uh, fruit uh, they never uh, have the complexity and the quality of uh, fruit from older vines. So that plus that. But honestly, and it's, uh, I'm a little bit pretentious to, to, to say that. But <laughs> 
I'm, I was I'm, I was very surprised by my first vintages. Well, my first vintages was '98, which coming from Bordeaux was for me still a very nice vintage. Yeah. yeah. For California people, they were so uh, used to the best that uh, it was a little bit more challenging than the uh, average. But '98 for me was still a good one. And uh, boy, it was my first vintage, so uh, he died kind of uh, fast. But uh, 99, uh, 2000, uh, it's a long, long time I didn't try them. So I'm pretty sure they're kind of tired. But I would say from my first estate, even it was from young vines, uh, for example, 04, which is, uh, I don't know, that make what, 25 years? Mm -hmm. No. Honestly, uh, I was amazed by the ability of our wine here in Paso to age super well, at least for the good one. And uh, mm -hmm. so that was already a, a nice point. How did Paso welcome you, this French man? Very well. There was? It was oh, like yeah. the people? Because yeah. that's another theme that, of this show has always been uh, the people have been, I mean, it's this intangible recipe to what makes Paso so special. I think they welcome me better than... Uh, if uh, you you went to France. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if it was turned around. No, and that being said, I'm a little bit uh, caricatural, but uh, I will say, I think in America, you know, and that makes uh, your country as it is, uh, your open mind, and so uh, I think when you have uh, good people coming, uh, if it's good for him, it's good for the population. But more than that, I will say, especially in Pastor Bless, which was a little town, I think you kept the uh, value of the hospitality that maybe we lost a little bit in France. So mm -hmm. I was super welcome. Honestly, yeah. uh, you were speaking about Gary Berlet, but Justin Baldwin, all those guys helped me. So not making the, the, the wine or uh, for the vineyard, but you know about uh, advisors for the marketing, finding some distributors sometimes. I remember Justin gave me the name of his own distributor or another one because his distributor would have been too big for me, etc., etc. Yeah. Never you will see that in France. Never. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I know. Something very special. And all the, I would say, not country guy, but the people who are even not, uh, I would say, involved in the wine, uh, you know. Uh, now, honestly, I was, I think I was super welcome and... Uh, and it's it a kind now. of easy integra integration. Kind of. It's so interesting to have you both here. What do you think, what did you hope that you would teach Guillaume? What do you think Guillaume learned from you about this business and about winemaking? He came uh, with already a good knowledge. He had a lot of uh, basement somewhere because he went to school, he had some experience. I don't know. I think I gave him uh, somewhere... Uh, Maybe I'm, I would say, maybe I'm responsible about the fact that, like he said, uh, he came, but I showed him what was possible to achieve in America at the opposite of uh, take back the business of his father, which is more or less uh, the most common stuff to do in France. Yeah. So I think that was upon his eyes to say, wow, <laughs> everything is possible here, you know? At some point, you get to a place here where your own brand it, you, you need to fly you need to kind of do your own thing is, is that how it went how did that kind of conversations between the two of you go like hey I, I think our time has come like I think no I think naively again I started you know only those 50 cases and to be honest I started in 08 which you know I mean crash everything happened and it was you know uh, so we're talking like 08, 08 the yeah. crash you're making 50 cases of wine which is maybe two barrels yeah and and is it selling? Are you having luck with it? Is it doing you know, good? Of, of course, the first yeah. vintage you give half because yeah. the people taste, right? And then you sell a little bit of it, you know. Yeah. 
to end up to what he said, you know, uh, me, I was not very hot to let him because it was like my spiritual son, you know, and mm -hmm. I did not want to lose him. Yeah. And I knew his potential. So I knew from the beginning, the day I will say yes, and I didn't want to say yes, the day I will say yes, I will lose him. It was just a question of time, you know, and it's what's happened. But uh, because when you're French people, you know, here it's super uh, usual. To have his winemaker making his own brand in France, it's completely. And I, I'm still French, even I spent 20 years here, and I'm uh, for some stuff I'm uh, American, but for. And so, when he told me that, me, I'm. A, it's a, you know, it's a part of pragmatic uh, approach. It's part of selfish approach, and you say, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and finally, I understood the only way to keep him was to try to uh, to make him uh, achieve. Uh, if not, it will have been a frustration, and uh, maybe uh, he will have left to achieve this goal. Right. So I said, let him uh, do it, and etc. Uh, etc. Et after uh, what should happen, happen not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a really cool story. <laughs> and it lasted seven. I mean, he was here seven years making it until. Yeah. But I'm sure it's hard for a lot of winemakers. Yeah, to he say, started with two barrels, yeah. four, six, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and after I say, because a lot of brands don't let their winemakers. I don't have any more. No, we hear stories like that all the time. I mean, I remember a dude yeah. on off Adelaide Road who literally held a different cell phone for his other brand because he didn't want the owner to think he would, you know, or maybe you can't make it here. We've talked yeah. to Gary Eberly and then, you know, Chris Eberly, the winemaker of no relation, is a talented winemaker. I mean, his detente stuff is really good. And how do you, but I feel like when we, we start talking about, you know, folks in your position, Stefan, who say, okay, look, I, I don't want to lose him. I don't want to lose a Guillaume. If I do kind of feed into this, yeah, I mean, there are some wings that are going to grow and, he, and he's going to fly at some point. So it is kind of this like dichotomy of of both sides but it's fascinating to me yeah and then there's the family connection which we'll get into in terms of like yeah, yeah. So. there really is a family connection we're going to get into that it, it was written in the in the sky kind of yeah <laughs> well we talk about where paso is right now because it is in a special place and right now as we sit here in the old tasting room of la Ventura that has been converted into a really a conference room but this used to be where you tasted wine out of we're at the end of live oak road and as we sit here right now uh you're your daughter, Chloe, is in the office, and Chloe is married to Arnaud, and uh, the... Two of them, along with you, Guillaume, have Beanham Wines. Mm -hmm. So we got close to Lynn with you and your wife. We got Beanham Wines. And then your son, uh, Julian, is... Oh, the cousin of his son. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> is uh, is the, the chef and proprietor of one of the hottest restaurants in Paso, uh, La Petite Canaille, the Little Rascal. LPC, as everyone is affectionately known. So the French connection, we, we got a little La, La Familia here. I will not, uh, yeah, but we're not a mafia. Be, uh, don't be... Uh, scare. <laughs> <laughs> I will stay in my place now, but yeah, and I'm proud about that because somewhere it was also part of the initial project. It, but like I told you, it was not just uh, making wine in the new world, etc. I was very happy uh, that my kids will grow, uh, I will say, uh, uh, in a different society, so they will have a foot in uh, France, a foot in America, and I think that will make them even better, etc. So it was all of that. And now, yeah, 20 plus years uh, after, I see that uh, my two kids, uh, my two boys are married with some American girl. Chloe uh, end up with a French one, but uh, and my grandkids, uh, I have seven, so I'm very proud about that, seven grandkids, to see that uh, at the end, well, the success, uh, finally, because it was not so uh, easy to end up to where I am today. 
But at the end, uh, yes, I cannot complain. Well, it's interesting because you see the success and the growth of Paso, and part of all these wineries led to a really, really creative and progressive food scene, which feeds the wineries, which feeds the food scene. And I mean, you go into LPC, uh, I mean, the wine list is fantastic. There's a whole lot of La Ventura on there. But it's got to be really cool to see Julian and his cuisine, you know, he's learned and worked in places all over the place, to bring it back home to the same small town in the middle of nowhere like you put it that you know 20 some years ago it's yeah. the end of the circle kind of full circle no no you're right yeah it's a little bit of that it's a more or less our story but uh, and I think that like I did uh, in the wine Julian that was uh, his style so it's more a chef owner uh, concept you know uh, it's not just to have a restaurant and hire a chef he's everywhere like me I was a bottle washer you know mm-hmm. and it's the same story and after like you said uh, getting his experience in some uh, very famous gastronomical uh, restaurant his love is not to make gastronomy it's to make bistro family uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. you enjoy with the ambience and everything. approachable approachable, approachable food just like yeah. Yeah. yeah you know it's so interesting about that aspect of because we, we had a chat with him and he was great and listening to his story is really cool and one of the things I always love talking to winemakers about because you guys are always tasting your wine. I mean, it's not the first time you've tasted these or you've tasted this and you're tasting it all throughout the process. But one of the times that your wine gets become, you know, new in a way to you, it's when it's paired with special food, food that just makes it come alive. And I imagine, Stefan, it's got to be so cool as a dad to not only see your wine come alive again, but to be paired with cuisine created by your son. About that, yeah. Uh, it, it never happened. Maybe because I was so tired about those fucking one-maker dinner. <laughs> I don't want to do anymore. I did so much. Uh, but, uh, and I'm not complaining. Uh, that helped me to uh, meet my future customer. But yeah, I think that it's, we need to be, uh, we need to set that today. So I don't know how we will do it because I want to make it uh, low profile. But yeah, for me, it will be uh, a, a, a big moment. That'd be a huge moment. So you've never done one? You've never... Or I mean, you, certainly you've paired... Not an official one. Right, uh, but, you've, but certainly you've sat at a table and paired your wine with his food. Yeah, yeah, but it was never a more formal uh, sure. format. Uh, and I think uh, now he has his own place, uh, and we can really uh, fine-tune everything together. Uh, it will be a great moment. Is there any aspect of winemaking or your winemaking that's spiritual? Like, how do you look at winemaking? Is it just... Is it all craft? Is it... Is it uh, um, craft mixed with artistry? Is there any kind of spirituality in it for you or what? In the wine or yeah. in the pairing? In, in, the, in, the, in the wine, in the process, in the Making wine. Making wine? No, no, no. I would say, you know, I'm very pragmatical. Yeah. I want to disintellectualize the winemaking side because uh, people speak just about uh, winemakers and the uh, winemaking when farming is just 20% of the story. You know, if you have shitty fruit, uh, you can make a good average, but you cannot make great from average fruit. So I think it's sometimes it's good to uh, put back on the front of the scene the uh, importance of the vineyard. And when I speak about the vineyard, it's a terroir, the way you grow, the viticulture, etc., etc. Because that, again, it's a big, the biggest part of the story. After that, I will say, I have this kind of expression, I say, more I know, less I do. So I came back to some very, when you, you experimented like I did for uh, close to 40 years, 
And especially now I'm at L'Aventure since 20 years, I went through everything. On the top of that, Guillaume pushed me to me. I started to back up, retired a little bit, and he said, no, let's try to do this, let's try to do that. And, oh, okay. That was fun. So, was that intentional? Yeah, or, or was yeah, you just yeah, yeah, firing yeah. you? Were you really trying no, to push no, it? Was, you know, uh, I mean, it was, uh, that was amazing. Full of because yeah, with Stefan, we always, you know, as we c get to know each other, pretty quickly you know Stefan was awesome because he was listening just like my dad he said oh yeah let's try it you know and very open which was cool yeah at uh, the end I said again you want to try that again oh no it's okay <laughs> so I was kind of pitching you know even oh, yeah. if he was doing amazing I mean let's but make a little uh, experimentation more okay so yeah but because the, the best way to learn is to make your own experimentation but when you have I would say uh, especially on the same vineyard uh, 20 vintages on your belt or more or less you made the tour of everything and uh, again uh, I go back to the fundamentals so it's focus on the fruit and when you have fantastic fruit I will say you don't have to be too pushy you know you don't have to do too much stuff especially after when uh, it's like a young dog you know when he's young you want to bark uh, to be the biggest as possible impress uh, everybody you see often you know in France you know it's those uh, you know estate no, all, all, all. What do you do in the winemaking? Nothing. I just put the fruit yeah. in the tank, ferment, and so turn So you go over. back to the fundamentals. And it's not a fake modesty, you know, it's really the reality. How did you, um, obviously, you love being in the vineyard. And we've, I love my conversations with Gary Everly because he, uh, one of his idols was uh, Robert Mondavi, mm -hmm. who didn't teach him anything about making wine, but a whole lot about selling it. How quickly. Which is important. Sure. How did that come to you? Was that easy? Yes, you, you, you knew how to make wine. You, I mean, you're a fantastic winemaker you know that your popularity you know expresses that um when it started to come to like okay but this is also a business we got to grow this become good at this maximize this was that something that came easy to you or was it just the quality that was just like oh no 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 such will be um, not honest to say that i was fucking scared you know and uh, i was smart enough to understand that was the key of the success if you make the best wine as possible and nobody know about it and nobody buy it your, your uh, I can say it, yeah. uh, fuck again, you know, and yeah. so it's, it's fundamental and it's maybe uh, one of the biggest parts I learned in America. I learned the importance of the noble side of the marketing and Joel is here and sometimes we have this kind of debate together. For me, uh, you know, marketing was blah, 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 was not very noble, was not very important. It was just commercial stuff. I'm a purist kind of, so the production is noble, the rest is kind of shitty stuff, you know, you're not noble. And I discovered that uh, I had to change my mind because uh, without good marketing, without good communication, uh, you do And in the early 2000s, and this there, is what you were. there wasn't a lot of people here. You were no, good at this. You well, were talented. I was, but I was working in the cellar for Stefan. So he and a, and a national sales manager were flying around the country talking about Paso. I mean, at that point, there was only a few people doing that. Justin was doing that and Jay Lore, but there was not, and he was like doing some serious as he's called the blah, blah, blah. He was doing some serious marketing for Paso Wines out there and he didn't like it. I mean, he's honest. He did not like it. He did not like winemaker dinners, but he was so great because he's French and he's, you know, and he's charming and all these fun things. But, but he's handsome and but, he's got an accent. He he's a great winemaker. Like, he didn't like, because he wanted to be in the cellar. He, wanted, he was happier at 6 a.m., barking orders about punchovers and, and when you're picking yeah. then he was pouring wine at a winemaker dinner mm -hmm. and then uh, a funny story you can cut this out later if you want to but yeah. when I was kind of raising my ranks here through, in Pastor I was like called Stefan for advice and I had a chance to as I was working for Eric Gary Eberle in the cellar I was like a you know a, a cellar rat and I had a chance to go work in marketing for Austin Hope and Stefan that's right that's true that, 
stay in the cellar if you want to make wine and, and do that because the marketing is going to come and go. But so this I, was I, I something that way, <laughs> this is something that you had to warm up to. This idea of marketing, oh, yeah. like if we're going to make this beautiful bottle of wine, we got to move it. Exactly. If not, you're dead. As a Frenchman, you know, you're not a really good marketer. You know, I mean, we like to be in the vineyard and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, and now, I mean, my, on my hand, I spend more time in the tasting room almost than the the, the, the wine making. You know, do you like it? Do you did you kind of? Yeah, I mean, I, wrap I your arms around this. No, be honest. <laughs> to be honest, I love it. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, because you talk to people and, you know, and they're eager to come and taste your wine and they talk about it. And they talk about it. We love you. No, yeah. no, no. No, but <laughs> no, for me, I talk to myself, you know. Well, American people are super nice, you know. They are so, when they come here, they are so happy, you know, and especially when they meet uh, owner, winemaker, bottle washer. But, yeah, it's something very special in America, you know, and already this kind of honor tourism uh, yeah, now starts to happen yeah. a little bit in uh, Europe, but it was so... Uh, well, in Europe, I feel like the two times I went there, the winemaker isn't much spoken oh, no, of. No, no, no. no. But, but here, least, it's like a celebrity, like uh, to, to meet yeah, the winemaker, that's what's so cool, right. you can be much, yeah, Do you think it's too much? Yeah, because I don't think we deserve this celebrity. Oh, you like it? Come on. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, just a little. Just a little no, bit. No, no, no. No, but look at it. It's uh, like chef. Uh, chefs are superstars or yeah. rockstar. And us, yeah, we have uh, somewhere. Uh, it's crazy. And again, honestly, we, we just do our job, you know. And uh, you have not so much uh, magical or romantism uh, because when uh, you really practice when making, uh, it's very simple. It's basic. And well, after you have some people who do uh, what they have to do, better than another one but we are not uh, artists we are good artisans so we know what we have to do and we do it well and we respect each step of the long 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 process to go from a plantation to the bottling with the label and everything and that makes uh, our job super beautiful you know but we are not an artist. I think uh, chefs eventually are more creative because they have more uh, flexibility us we have one crop per year so if you fucked up this one, you're dead. You know, when you're a chef, you can make some more recipe, you can make some trails and stuff like that. And you have more creativity in terms. So uh, again, I'm not. Uh, I don't try to be humble, but I think we're more artisan than marketer. You mean Z Z than uh, artist? Yeah. What about you? Yeah. You think it's, you yeah. think what you're doing is more craft or more art? I I think it's more art for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're pretentious. Huh? No, no, no. No, <laughs> no because, I mean, it's an art. I mean, let's, let's no. put it this way. But no. I mean, when you make a wine, I think it's an art, you know. It's like a good carpenter who makes a beautiful yeah, furniture. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's interesting. interesting. No, I course. think it's the same for me, you uh -huh. know. I mean, for me, an artist is someone who starts from a white page. So uh, a writer, a sculptor, a painter, uh, the guy has the story of his book in his mind or he has a vision of his painting. Yeah, but so when, you, when you pick your fruit, you start your blend already on your head. And you say, oh my gosh, I see. Yeah, but it's our job. I put some whole cluster uh, into that. We're more I mean, pragmatical, I think. He talk about it, but you know, well, offline, he's talking to artist, me. Oh, uh, you know. High-end artisan. Is that right? So he'll call you and be very... No, I mean, when we talk to each other, oh my gosh, this year I saw this block, I put some stem, and you know, and now he's saying he's not an artist. He's 
freaking an artist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's an adjective. It's not important. <laughs> That's really interesting because, I mean, we're talking about something that, you know, by all accounts, it takes craft, it takes yeah. artistry. Um, and I've seen and the some vintage, people... the weather. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's so much going on. And then uh, there's a Cal Poly a comparative religion professor named Stephen Lloyd Moffin. He wrote a book, a local dude wrote a book about yeah. uh, the spirituality of wine. And then the second one was actually the spirituality of winemakers. And yeah, I get it. I mean, right? Some, you know, it could be a little bit of, you know, of like hogwash or the, the gesture that Stefan made. And to some folks, it really is, there is something, there yeah. is something to that for them. Yeah, for me, I mean, it's special and Stefan is the same way too. I mean, it's, every vintage is special. The weather brings, the fruit is different, the block is different and, you know, and every year is exciting, you know. But for me, a great artisan, it's even more uh, impressive than a good artist. Because an artist, somewhere, it's someone who is gifted. So it is what it is. When you're a good art artisan, it's something you progress every year, you learn your job and from that you become better. Etc. Etc. So, I, me, I like the definition to be more an artisan. However, hey, does that make us uh, loved and famous? Uh, I take it. Huh? Were there ever things that you guys would butt heads on? Yeah. Stylistically, what would you Let guys think but about? No, a long time ago. You know, I've, I've known Stefano since what, 17 years? You know, the first years it was really tough, you know, it was really, you know, really, really hard. And I think, you know, as you go indefinitely, as you get. You know, older and all that's definitely much easier. But something about Stefan, I think, is really tough with the one he loves, you know, and to kind of push the boundaries, you know, right, Stefan? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no. And somewhere, it's. Uh, I think this job takes all this dimension. If you push the boundaries and to be in the new world, and especially in California, you have the environment. Also, the mentality of the American customer, wine drinkers, they love that, they are open. Sometimes they are even more educated than European customers, but they have still this opening. And so that gives us a chance to always try to be better and better. Me, I learn every year. And uh, my, my vines are uh, older and older, so that helps also to make better wines. Well, uh, don't ask to my wife because uh, she will not uh, agree. But, uh, you know, it's like a good bottle of wine with the age. Uh, you are maybe better. Right. Kind of. Not, well, you for, guys every, have been, not for everything. Huh? I mean, because <laughs> even, you know, with, with Julian in the restaurant, you in the winery, Chloe and what she's doing. I mean, Beatrice has had uh, a popular uh, store downtown for, for a long, long time. NB Boutique. Yes. Yeah. And she loves to do it. It's not for the money. And now after, I don't know, it's uh, six, seven years, because somewhere uh, we are thinking to uh, back up a little bit together. And uh, she wants absolutely to keep uh, with uh, her friend uh, Andrea the shop, because uh, like I, uh, I think I booked a little something at, uh, at the wine level in Paso, she's very motivated to think that. I think it's good for Paso to have a shop like that, mm -hmm. with super nice clothes. Mm -hmm. Coming from a smaller designer, etc., etc., and so yes, I think it's good for Paso, and she loves it, and uh, she put uh, at her level, they put a little uh, uh, stone on the wall. It's so cool to see all the different pieces of of your family that are really contributing You're to right, what yeah, I never realized that because yeah, if you look at Julian, yeah, so. yeah, that's very cool. Okay, so maybe I will have a middle. Yeah, a middle. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> Stefan, say, Guillaume Fabre. Okay, so uh, we close to Lynn. Uh, we got a tasting room in Tins city 
Okay, so Close to Lynn is taking off, but then, you know, you and your brother and Chloe, you start another brand, Binom. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the differences in these two brands and uh, what you want to express with each of them. I mean, it's funny because, you know, I always told my brother, you know, I will never work with family because it's always a battle. You know, it's never mm-hmm. easy. And, you know, I started Close to Lynn on our own. And when I decided with Solen to kind of move on to the next step, meaning buy an estate and all of that, I went to Siano and said, what do we start? something together and we did you know been on born in 2015 and it was just you know um we were both eager to try that brand and you know definitely have different aspects on the blending and so you know uh, and now you know arno is doing all the marketing side of it and i do all the production well very defined or each one does and i think was great you know uh, as long as one is awesome it sells well and you know it's a way you know so i think it's Pretty cool to see that. And, you know, plus what Paso become as a good wine, good wineries. But I think the hospitality changed too. Everybody starts now to do like a much better job. And people come here, taste and have a good experience and talk with their friends and come back. And I think what we've seen, I've never seen so much people from Napa, you know, outside of states that never came to Paso and they are blown away, you know, by the region. And I think, you know, for me, every guest needs to have almost the red carpets. You know, that's where I am. I like to see people. I like to, you know, force them to have a good experience. And, you know, they buy one bottle, 10 or 20 is the same, you know, but they go back home and they talk and they come back. Yeah. Points. Obviously, both of your wines are highly acclaimed. People love your wines. Uh, when you get, you know, I mean, you've scored huge before. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100 yeah, point yeah. wine. Stefan's got 100 points every 100 year. 100 point wine. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not every year. But I mean, you, you've, you've had more than one. Yes. I mean, what is that like when you have been told by the pros that you have made a perfect bottle of wine? Uh, when I told you I'm not a big ego, uh, <laughs> make you happy. Is that uh, good for your ego? But uh, I will say that helps you to sell the wine, yeah. which is uh, me. I'm very pragmatical. So I'm. Yeah, I'm proud. Takes the marketing away from you. Just like, (laughs) marketing's done. Yeah, yeah, it's done. (laughs) I can go to Mexico, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but no, honestly, the last 100 point on my STQV 18, Mm -hmm. maybe it was my favorite one because it was kind of a recognition of all my vision I had uh, 20 years ago and I fight for that. For me, uh, that finally on this wine, uh, even they're all my babies, you know, but Estate Cuvée, it's really the, the, the vision of what I wanted to do. Uh, it's the flagship. This. Yeah, and go back to what I told you about make the wine of his terroir, uh, not the wine of the appellation, etc., etc. Estate Cuvée, uh, even I love my quota coat, etc., etc. But Estate Cuvée, it's really my... Uh, my favorite kid, kind of. And so to get uh, the perfect score on this wine, uh, now I can retire. People calling you, like, oh, man, congrats. Yeah, that. some neighbor uh, congratulate you, but it's... Uh, and then people are like, hey, you got another bottle of that? Can I buy a bottle of it? Like, Yeah, yes, uh, yeah it's more Sorry, expensive. Sold out. It's, yeah, yeah we're sold out, or it's more expensive. No, no, uh, but... Yeah, no, uh, but especially the estate QV one. Well, it's almost like a musician having a number one song, right? And then yeah. if you have a number one song, yeah. Yeah. Yes. it's like... Was my next song going to go number one? Do, do you feel a pressure on yourself no. to make another one? No, because uh, I never made wine. Uh, when I make my blends, I know that some wine will have more chance to have a bigger score than another one. And, uh, really? It's true. Higher. Yeah. And uh, because even we don't know the recipe, but we know uh, the wine we can uh, show off better than another one. And uh, we test blind. And I think Guillaume is the same. We test, first, we pick the wine we, we love. So yeah. what we would like to drink. And after you love me, you buy my wine. <coughs> Great. You don't like me. 
you don't buy my wine, it's okay. You know, you have yeah. so much other wine, we will make good wines. For me, the best 100 points is going to the testing room and people talk about it. Oh my gosh, it's balanced, it's elegant, I love it. You know, I think, I think it's where, you know, the customers comes to you and buy the wine. I think it's where the, you know, yeah. you know, you get your, your point there. If people leave unhappy... At the end, it's the most important. I yeah. So if you leave, if the clients leave unhappy, I mean, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, didn't do my work. Correct word. Right. Because you know, you know some uh, winery who never get good score and they sell uh, all their production direct. So I, it's, it's, that depends somewhere uh, your vision. Uh, definitely if you export, if you do this, or if you sell through uh, the distributor's uh, channels, uh, will make your life easier, you know. If you sell direct somewhere, and that's the beauty of the direct sale, uh, you deal directly with the people and you create connections yeah. And if at the end they end up with you and they stay with you, it's because they like your story, but they like your wine. And that, I think, is very solid. Yeah. The other it's one, uh, they buy labels, they buy scores. So they love you uh, because uh, you got 100, but the day you have only 94 or 95, which is uh, fantastic, they drop you like a piece of shit, you know? That's so interesting. So it's... Uh, <laughs> you know who the true fans are. Exactly. And uh, the distributors are uh, motherfuckers, you know, so they have a short memory and they just love you when uh, you have good scores. Right. This was um, such a fun time. Stefan, do you, you know, I know you don't like these um, winemaker dinners so much. Did you like this interview? Yeah, yeah, no, but because it was uh, super funny. It was not formal at all, so I like that, yes. Yeah, all right. And I could say what I wanted to say, so it's good. Yeah, I, well, I always it. say what I want to say, Robert, yeah. but you're a good moderator. <laughs> no, 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 no. Cheers, thank you, Stefan. Thank you. So give me that mm-hmm sound, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is Camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. Well, what did I tell you? Wow, this podcast will be one of the ones that we make an NFT or something out of. I don't know. Ask your kids or the geek in your life. Uh, that was my first NFT joke, by the way. What a show, though. Remember I told you there was a special opportunity you can get in on with the Paso Wine Fest and their auction happening May 10th through 16th? Well, one of the lots is literally a tasting and dinner with Stefanoseo, and these are rare for him. You heard him say that. And with Guillaume, pretty much what we just did, a tasting and a dinner at the hottest spot in Paso, La Petite Canaille, from Chef Julian Asayo. This is insane. Get to PasoWine.com for more. Our next episode will fall pretty close to Earth Day. I imagine I got some fun ideas there. Chat with some organically and sustainably farmed winemakers who are not only doing it in the vineyard, but what does it mean to be a sustainable winery as well? It's next time, and I can't wait to connect with you again. I'll have a link to that feed spot list of top 40 wine podcasts so you can check out where we are, where we sit next to everyone, and we can plot our rise to the top together. I'll post it in the show notes here. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. The show was recorded, edited, produced by yours truly. Go to PasoWine.com for any and all the 411 before your next trip to Paso Wine Country. 
I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Next time you're cruising the Central Coast, make sure to tune me in. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Mornings, on Coast 104.5, and the Cork Dorks, and all the wine stuff on the Crush 92.5. Both have apps and allow you to listen online, and you can check them out from anywhere. Follow me on Instagram with shots and nuggets from behind the scenes as well, at Adam on the Air. Well, I appreciate you hanging out and connecting with us here like this. I like seeing where wine takes us, and I hope you're stoked on seeing where wine takes you. Cheers. And give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and work calm. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and work calm. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we can pass on down till the job is in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.